Oh God, how do we make disciples of our children? This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. <laughs> so Stephen Manuel's shouting a question to the Lord. That'll wake you up in the morning. You guys could even clip that little audio and use it as your alarm clock if you wanted to. I mean, we would permit that here at Abraham's Wallet. So the question this week that I want to ask you is, how would you change the way that you parent if you knew for 100% certain that your kids would obey the Lord exactly the same way that they obey you? That's what Stephen is about to spend an hour talking about, and he's going to throw some some pretty controversial statements your way, um, but I think you guys are ready for it. So this episode is, uh, is a talk that Stephen gave in front of a live audience. It's full of doors slamming and Stephen turning away from the microphone and... Uh, even at the end, I think he started drumming on the on the whatever he was talking from. But you can forgive all of that because the content here is great. So I would encourage you to really s- sort of set aside some time to listen to the, to this one. I think it's full of amazing gold nuggets, and it's gonna be a blessing to you. So. Without further ado, I give you Stephen Manuel on parenting. Um, I talk about this a lot with friends, uh, parenting and leading a family. Um, I talk about it with guys that I'm discipling a lot, and I've never talked about it in a room like this before, ever. Um, Would you like to know why? Well, one, because pat answers are insufficient for this topic. So like a really simple answer like, what do you do if your child opposes you to your face? like... If you give me 45 minutes, I'll give you a good background for why I think the way that I do, and then I'd get into the specifics of the issue. But these things are so miseasily understood, um, and it's so fraught. This subject is so fraught that I know that um, it'll be upsetting to some people, the things that I say tonight. I know that it will be upsetting, and if I haven't offended you yet, you know, stick around. Um, Look, I've already made Scott angry. Thank you, Scott. Um, and it's so personal. It's so personal. I, I could talk to you about um, a Bible verse following Jesus, and you'd go, okay, that's great. And then and if I get into your lap a little bit about the way you run your home, it's really easy to get your, to get your you know, toes uh, crunched and then not want to uh, hear anymore. I feel like, um, when you go, like when you go into the fair and you buy the tickets, and you only have so many tickets to spend, so you have to make good decisions about which uh, ride you're going to go on. I know I only have so many tickets of credibility to spend with you. And so I, if, I would, if I'm going to oppose you or violate your expectations, I'd rather do it about something like what salvation is and who the Holy Spirit is. Um, this, is, this, is this is a secondary issue. You don't have to agree with me about this stuff to be born again or know the Lord. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to share, th- this is my take on these things. You know, sp- the other thing is that spiritual talk is easier to address. So if I talked about prophecy and healings, I'd be, oh, that's so cool. How interesting. And then if I got really practical with you, you go, you know, you really can't afford the car that you drive. You spent too much money on that car. You should probably sell it. Excuse me? Who do you think you are? Let's talk about your sex life. Let, can, I, can we talk about that real quick? What? 
Who, what do you think? So discipleship is not pie in the sky. Discipleship is really nitty gritty. It's about what you do with your time. It's about what, where your mind goes and what your relationships look like. These are the things that Jesus gets into. So the topic has to be addressed. And as, as I'm going to demonstrate, it's really core to anybody who wants to live a life of ministry is how your home works. So I'm going to wade into these waters. Let's see how it goes. Okay, here we go. I'm going to start with this. Bible verse that I learned, I think I was a third grader. We had to, I remember learning this passage that every Baptist knows is the Great Commission. It's um, Matthew 28. And Jesus said, I like this translation that says, All authority on heaven and earth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them how to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you in this endeavor always to the end of the age. This is the, this is the sort of assignment for his church. So if I could ask you to melt all of that passage down into the central, here's what I want you to do. Um, you would go is the big action verb in this passage and let me ask you of all of the things that we buy books about do sermons about what is the thing that we're supposed to teach people according to this passage how to how to obey we're supposed to teach people how to obey So let me just ask you a really simple question based on the Great Commission here. Do you think that obedience is something that is innately mastered by humans? No, no, it's not. It's something that has to be taught. So I would just say, how many of you in working with new believers, you put your shoulder to the plow of, I'm going to teach you how to obey God. That's the Great Commission is to teach people how to obey. And they don't know how to do it naturally. Is it intuited or is it a learned skill? It's a learned skill according to Jesus. Because if it was intuited, we wouldn't have to go teach people how to do it. So he says, you know, give people a training course on how to obey. Now let me ask you a really interesting little question based on the Great Commission. Is obedience... Something that God wants people to learn directly from him? Or is it something that he wants to use people to teach other people about? Isn't that interesting? He said, I want you to go teach people how to obey. Most of our energy in church... um, it's It's not a bad idea. It's like if we could get you to hear God for yourself... Go, you'll do great. You'll do fine. Go, hear him for yourself. I'm sure you'll want to do what he says. That's not the command. Is not teach people how to hear my voice. That's close. That's kind of part of this puzzle. They do need to hear his voice. But that's not the direct command. It's to teach people how to obey him. So they have to learn how to hear his voice. Open up the Bible. Oh, he says to do this. Okay. Now, most, most churchgoers, when they're confronted with God's word, think, maybe, maybe, that's what he's, maybe that's what he's saying to me right now. I'll, I'll consider that. Boy, that's a good thought. I'll consider that. Well, that's not obedience. You know, you, don't, you fail on that one. So Jesus says in the Great Commission, teach people how to obey me. I'll give you a little hint. Does anybody know how Jesus learned how to obey? Through the things that he suffered, says Hebrews 5. God wants to, let me say this again. He wants to use people to teach other people how to obey. Now that's true in so many things that he could do himself much better than we can. But that's not how he does it. He doesn't stand on a pulpit and he doesn't go into Starbucks with your friends and share the gospel with them. He tells you to share the gospel with them. He wants the gospel coming out of your mouth. He could heal people better than you ever will. 
That's not how he wants to do it. He wants you to put your hands on them and assume his power and ask for his power to come to bear when you lay your hands on someone. He doesn't want people to learn through the ether somehow to, um, to feel their way to obeying him. He wants people to teach other people how to obey him. Can you see that in that passage? I see that so clearly in this verse from 1 John. If you don't love your brother who you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? So that's how love works. That's how love works. You're not allowed to say, oh, I really, really love God. I just can't stand any of you people. Um, But no, no, I really, really love God. The Bible says you're a liar. That's not true. It says that you've got to practice on humans. And and that's how you can learn what love of God is. Now, let me ask, and I'll give the ending away a little bit here with this question. Who's the first people in your life that you learn to love? Your parents. You learn to love your parents. So your parents are going to be your primary and foundational tutors for what love looks like. And you probably will be fighting against the lessons that you learn from them for the rest of your life. That's most people. But we learn to love through people and then we assign that to the unseen God. That's not just true of love. I just made a little list of things that that's true for. It's true of submission. You cannot submit to God if you can't submit to people. You don't know how to do it. You cannot and will not trust God if you cannot and will not trust people. Because this is the practice. You cannot learn obedience to God if you can't obey a person. You can't learn self-control as a spiritual virtue if you can't do that in a relationship. There's a proverb that says, wisdom is proved right by her actions, which means these things aren't theories. They're skills that are learned on the playing field of relationship. You dig me? Okay. Now, again, I'm going to give it, I can't help myself to give the ending away a little bit here, but I would just ask any parent this sobering question how would you change your parenting if you knew that your kids will obey God exactly like they obey you I would tell you that's exactly what you're training them for you are training them to obey God exactly the way that they obey you so if your um, relationship with your kids is one in which you allow multiple disobediences. Uh, just, would you do it? Would you take out the trash? Why didn't anybody take the trash? Guys, take out the trash. Guys, take out the trash. Ooh, take out the trash. I'm about to lose it if somebody doesn't take out the trash. Then they take out the trash. You've just trained that person how to obey, which is we get five chances. If we don't listen to your voice and completely ignore you, We know that you'll start getting upset, and when you start getting upset, that's when we obey. You are training them to obey God exactly that way, because they don't have any choice but to assign their relationship with a parent to relationship with God. Make sense? I'm going to do one of these for you, and we're going to use the axes of compliance and devotion. Bottom left, if somebody is not taught compliance... And they're not taught devotion. They don't, have, they don't have that heart connection. And they're not taught obedience. They, they're like a, a rescue dog. And they're confused and they're suspicious. My dad picked up a, a dachshund on the highway one time when I was a kid. And so we had that dog for, forever. And she, we had her for 10 years. And you could, have, you could have people food in your hand. And when you went toward that dog, she just backed off. Did not trust you. I'm like, it's been 10 years, dog. We're, we're, we love you. We're going to take care of you. But there was this confused suspicion of the whole machinery. No compliance, no devotion. Let's say somebody is taught and trained in high compliance. Some of you grew up in these homes. 
and low devotion, not heart strings being taught, but you were told you're going to obey. You're like a soldier, and what's produced is mechanical capitulation. Just do it. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what you think. You'll only be graded on whether you do it or not. There's fear present in that scenario, and there's isolation in that scenario. I can tell you that is not what God wants for our relationship with Him or for any of His children, because the first and greatest command is that we love Him. He wants love. That's unacceptable. That's an unacceptable scenario. You probably would agree with me on that one. You, you might feel differently about this one. High heart devotion, lots of struggles, but no training in compliance. You are care bearer, and you have emotional attachment. I know that that's not God's will for his relationship with his children or any disciple. How do I know it? Because 1 John 3, 2 says, we know that we have come to know him. Somebody finish that verse. When we obey his commands. We know that we have come to know him when we obey his commands. If you just feel snuggly with God, I just know he loves me. I don't, I'm not doing that stuff that he says to do, but I just know he loves me. There's no biblical, you have no biblical assurance that you're born again. Because he demands obedience. So where we want to move to, and where we want our disciples to move to, is top right. Jesus was not available for a photograph, so we had to make do with an artist's rendering of what, of the whiteness that he assumed that a Middle Eastern Jew looked like. But anyways... Perfect, loving obedience. And the Lord wants both of those things in the same package. High love and total obedience. That's discipleship. I, I think I was raised to, and I'm still attracted to this because it's still rare, but I think I was raised to think that discipleship just meant harsh obedience. Darn it, just obey. It's not the Lord's heart. He wants deep heart connection with his children, and he wants total obedience. Now, this is the family portion of the evening. So the first verse I'm going to use to talk about family is a verse that maybe you've never heard applied to family before. Ready? Here it goes. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them how to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you in this endeavor always, even until the end of the age. I use this little chart uh, sometimes in talking with dudes about their lives. It's pretty simple. It goes like this. There's like layers to you, the innermost layer the core is your relationship to Jehovah, the God who made you. That's, that's your spirit. That's the truest part of who you are. That's the center. The, the shell outside of you and the Lord is your family. That's the next shell. And so that thing is your next place where you put your attention after you and God. Outside of that is work and ministry. Your public life. Your public life um, is not as important or as core to who you are as your relationship to your family. All the training that has typically happened in this room has been about that outer layer. And I don't really, I don't, not in your lives. I don't know, do you, do you scream at your wife? I don't know. But we're watching you in those tents to see how you pray with people. And we go, okay, that, that seemed like a successful encounter. I don't know what it's like with you and your kids. I don't know if you guilt them into obedience or you um, use candy to shut them up or you shove screens in their face when you're sitting at a restaurant because you don't want to deal with them and you know they won't obey you. I don't know. I don't know how you deal with that stuff. We, it's just easier. It's just easier for churches to deal with that outer layer. 
when we start getting into your laps and into your world, well, things get messy, boy, and then we got to get real, and people get offended. And then giving dries up, you stop coming to our services. <laughs> Shoot! But this, these inner rings, this is the real private you, and I, what I want you to understand is that those private rings are the testing ground for public service for you. And I'm going to make this blanket statement and then I'll back it up scripturally. If these things are out of order for you, then everything you do on the outside before people is, is questionable and is, is jeopardized by those inner rings. This is, for, this is for church leadership. Now, if you're in jump school, you are enlisted in church leadership training. And I don't mean the 501c3, and I don't mean running a crossroads site or something like that. I mean being a leader in the Lord's church and what he's doing and helping other men to know him. That's church leadership where I come from. And so this should be your desire for every believer. You should have this desire in your heart. I want my family to be an overseer family. I want the Lord to trust me with responsibility for other people. That when people need healing, they would knock on our front door. That when people need counsel, they would knock on our front door. I, I want us to be that kind of family. An overseer must manage his own household well. Can you believe? Can you believe that verse? Manage your own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And it gives us a little, there's more clues in the Bible about what managing the household looks like, but there's a big, big one right there, keeping his children submissive. Now, I put this other passage about deacons up because deacon is not a church leadership position. Deacon is the toilet scrubber of the church. And would you like to know the standards for being a deacon? Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and a great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. So these are good ambitions for us to have. I, I'm not hoping that somebody comes and anoints me and says, we want you to be the elder of our church. I'm not waiting for that. I just want to live in such a way that I qualify. That's First Timothy 3. If you don't make disciples of people over whom you have complete authority and unlimited responsibility and who are totally devoted to you naturally... How can you be trusted to make disciples of people over whom you have no authority who have at best partial allegiance to you? Because your life on the inner rings disqualifies you for what is supposed to be happening outside. So the biblical standard is we look inside the home and go, among other things, is your house managed well? We just saw a passage that says, are your children submissive? And obedient to you. I'll read this passage to you. It's from Malachi 2. I didn't put it in a slide. Didn't God make you one body and spirit with her? What was his purpose in this? Drum roll. Big question. What was his purpose in the covenant of marriage? Ready? It was that you should have children who are truly God's people. So make sure that none of you breaks his promise to his wife. Now, most translations is say that God was looking for godly offspring. That's what he wants. Well, that sounds a lot like this famous passage that we call the Great Commission. That's what he wants. He wants us to produce children, be they physical or spiritual, children who know how to obey him and trust his heart. Both of those things together. Do you hear, you see... Are you hearing my little diagram in there? Who obey him and who trust his heart so that we get love the Lord your God with all your heart and we get, I know that you know me if you've come to obey my commands. Are you tracking with me? This is what, these are, this is what God's intentions are 
So if God's intention in a home is that it would be a disciple-making factory, when somebody raises their hand and says, I'd like to lead in the local church, we go, oh, this, is, this will be easy. Well, let's just see your home. How are you doing? I'm making this, oh, I, my children are a freaking disaster. Forget about them. <laughs> but um, I, want, I want to get into the church, you know, where the people are all nice and where they're all compliant. And I would, like, I would like help you guys put on your shows and stuff like that. You're out. Because that's not the job description. The job description is about making disciples. And your home, I try to say this strenuously, when God gives you a child... <clears throat> Children are treasure from the Lord. Treasure. And when he gives you a child, he gives you this being that is naturally inclined to want you over all else. And he goes, I will teach you if you'll let me through this easy relationship how to teach someone how to obey. And if you can do that, I would like for you to multiply that by about a thousand times before you die. What do you say? then you can teach everybody how to obey. And sadly, because this isn't taught as the Great Commission, our churches are full of people who don't even know how to teach their children how to obey. And we're we're all thumbs when it comes to, I don't know how to make disciples. Whoa, that sounds very heavy, you know, to make disciples. Ah, it's easy. It's just like having a kid. Somebody's opting in to be your kid. I sat with a different guy earlier today, and I have, I have a long, growing relationship with this guy, and I just treat him as my son. And he knows that I love him, and because he knows I love him, I gave him some hard words today. And he received them very easily, and he walked away totally devoted to me. Now, there's some danger in there, being, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be an idol in his life, but I want you to see that total obedience and total devotion are not opposed to one another, not mutually exclusive. And that's supposed to be happening in children. It's supposed to be happening in us. I hope the grand conclusion of everything I've said at this point is that you would ask this question. Oh God, how do we make disciples of our children? Okay, for everybody that's not asking that question, we're done. Thanks for being here. I hope that's the question. It just takes me a long time to get there. Now, once we understand this, these are the, these are the, the stakes, and this is the goal, now, now we can have a really helpful conversation to just go, how do, you te- how do you teach people how to obey? Now, parenting in that context, for me, it frames it all up. Is there anything you'd add to all that? I didn't, my wife has not heard any of this until just now. I'm just going to, I wanted to be practical somewhat. So I I wanted to give you like 10 tips. So that's how I'm going to end the night, 10 tips. And let's have you little girls come up here. That verse says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These girls, as they start to have a relationship with God that's their own, They have a diving board into that relationship, and it's the relationship that they have with me and with their mom. And they will either trust him or not trust him based on whether we seem trustworthy. They will obey him or not obey him based on whether we have trained them how to obey. And it's something that requires training. Tip number one, pour God's word into their hearts. There's a parable that says God's word is like a farmer who planted seed and then he went to sleep. And while he was unaware of what was going on, that seed produced fruit all on its own. That's what the scripture says. It produced fruit all on its own. And when he checked on it, he went, wow, this seed is amazing. God's word is exactly like that. So what we want to do, these guys are sponges from about the age of three to eight, particularly. They, classical education just gives them masses of information just to memorize. I know you don't know what the War of 1812 meant in a global political thing. Don't worry about it. Just learn the dates. 
just facts, facts, information, information. Later they go back and they start to connect the dots because at that age, a kid is a genius at memorizing. Kids, kids can hear three different languages at the same time. Not, n- nobody's telling them, now I'm speaking French to you and then go into French. They'll just hear three different languages with no, with no intro, no help. And they will decipher which languages go together and learn how to speak all three languages at the same time. That happens a lot of places in the world. And it happens at that age. You don't get it at that age, it's gonna, you're going to have a hard time. You know, I started learning Spanish in the fifth grade. I'll never understand Spanish the way my wife does because she grew up around Spanish. So I'm memorizing words, cranky, trying to put sentences together, and she's just... She doesn't even know what she knows. She'll just respond to something and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that is how that works because she learned it at that age. That magical age, we should be cramming God's word into our children. They should be much more familiar with God's word than they are with the Disney princesses. Amen. They, they, they should have the Ten Commandments in their hearts. They should have all kinds of Bible verses crammed into them. I have to tell this story as an illustration of this point that when Ada was three, here's how I think it went. I'll be, I'll be corrected later. Okay. I think it went like this. Um, Ada was three years old. I was rocking her at night. I asked her, she's good. And she said, I think she said, yes, but I do wrong. Yes, but I do wrong. I was like, good answer. It's fine. And I didn't say anything as a rock. And then she said, do you know what I just did just now, daddy? I said, No. She said, I just asked Jesus into my heart. Now, you have to know that one of my values is never pushing my children towards a spiritual decision. Because they'll do it out of loyalty to me. They had never even heard that language from me. I'd never, we have never, I have never said anything to my children about someday you'll ask Jesus into your heart. Why don't you ask Jesus? You think you're ready to ask Jesus in your heart? Not doing that. I'm not trying to, I'm not touching that relationship. I was just cramming God's word into my kids. She said that, I thought, the first thing that went through my mind is, who said that to you? Where did you learn that language? And she said, I asked Jesus in my heart. I said, what do you mean? And I was so dumbfounded. I said, well, why do you, why do you think he would do that? What are you talking about? And she said, Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. If anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice, I will open, open, open the door and will come in. That's what I did, Dad. And I immediately thought of that parable that says, while the guy's asleep, the word does its work on its own. I had never taught a lesson on that verse or that song. Here's what that means, children. It means that our, we can open the door of our... I didn't do any of that. We're just cramming it in, and the word did that work. And I, I think I might have called my parents after that. Can a three-year-old be born again? I never heard of that. But the word did it on its own. So we're cramming the word kids love to have a memory verse and to be quizzed on that memory verse we made it a game that i wrote memory verse references in crayon on their wall (laughs) you can't write on the walls with crayon but i would just write verses so we have a list of verses that's in the wall of their bedroom and at night before bed we just hit pop 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 a couple of those and I'm trying to establish a worldview in them. So we got a lot of Genesis verses in there. We got Roman Road in there. And they don't know what this stuff means. And I don't care. I'm just trying to cram it into them. Because they're going to need them one day. And so I want to get God's word into them. So that's my first point. I don't think the other points will take the quite that long. But pour God's word into their hearts. Number two. Tell them who they are. I think this is pretty obvious. But I spend a lot of time... Um, just reiterating to my daughters that they're beautiful. This is an age where that really matters. They need to hear that. So mom and I both do that a lot. Just tell them you're beautiful. We tell them you're a manual. And that has some specific meanings. So we talk about our family as opposed to other families. So they come home with a lot of questions. 
about, I heard kids saying, oh my, G-O-D, at school, I heard kids saying that. And we kind of go, well, that's okay. They're not in our family. And in our family, the manuals, we obey God's word. And what does God say? Not to take his name in vain. That's right. So we, that's just the way that our family works. And you are an obedient daughter. And you are someone who wants to please the Lord. And they just kind of go, okay, I guess I am. And, and we, that's like one of the amazing superpowers that God gives to a parent is that you can look right into a child's soul and put his word. You can actually stick it like a seed right into their heart. And, and so I say things to them like that they don't even understand right now. Like someday trouble is going to come your way and you're going to wonder whether I love you all the way or whether God loves you all the way. And let me tell you something, little girl. I will love you forever and ever and ever. And it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to love you. And they kind of go, okay, I don't know what you mean by that, but all right, sounds great to me. And I'm sticking those foundation stones into them, telling them who they are, right? We teach obedience as a family value. We just have time as a family where we talk about God. And the more regular you can make that, the easier it'll be. It doesn't have to be anything profound. Just having time as a family to talk about God. And this is, where, this is when training happens. So we talk about obedience not as something that they only have to do, but we're an obedient family. Ada wanted to share a memory verse with you. Oh, yeah. Um, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you, and you will live long in the earth. What's the command for children, according to that passage? Obey your parents. And do you get, do you get some good things if you do that? Mm-hmm. Such as? Um, you will live long in the earth. Mm-hmm. And it will go well. And it will go well with you. Do you want things to go well with you? Sounds good? Okay. So you have to obey parents. Who do I have to obey? God. Who else? Uh, Grandma and Poppy. Uh, I obey Grandma and Poppy. Yep. Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) The president. That's right. He's my authority. Anybody else? Comes to mind. Uh, We would tell the kids, I have to obey my boss. Oh, yeah. I have to obey the police. I have to obey store managers wherever I am. I, I, there's a whole bunch of people that, because we're a family of obedience. And so when we come across God's word, oh, we just go, oh, well, we'll have to obey that too. No problem, because we're an obedient family. We obey. So teach these things as family values. Train against instant obedience. Now, I'm using that word specifically because of the t- kind of scenario I described earlier, where you kind of tell a kid to obey several times until you get really frustrated. And then you say, yeah, come on, let's obey. I'm going to count to seven. And all of that stuff. I know that I'm training my kids that how, that's how the, they'll, they'll obey God. What's the simplest thing for them for the rest of their life and how they obey God? How do we obey, girls? The first time. You got to train, train on this. You have to train. The, the word is train. So in training... In training, think of how you would train, uh, I, I grew up playing basketball. Think of how you train somebody to play basketball. You'd describe the playing field and the goal to everybody. You wouldn't just get on a basketball court and go play basketball. That was wrong. Bam! <laughs> that was wrong. You're stupid. You, you, you would describe, here's what we want out of you. And describe, here's the goals, and here's what's going to happen. So I'm going to tell you one time that I want you to shoot left-handed layups, and I want you to jump off your right foot. Do it, or you're going to be sitting on the bench. Everybody got it? All right, let's do layup lines. And then I have an expectation, and it's clear in front of everybody. Uh, my friend Sam, um, I remember, I, I think I had an infant at the time, and he described doing this with his kid, and I thought, well, that's genius. I never knew you could do that. He's like, I went with my gaggle of kids. He's got a whole bunch of kids. When we go to a... a um, into someone else's home for the first time, I walk around, I take everybody on a tour of the house. 
Walk around and see, see that outlet? Nobody touches that. All right? See this pretty glass stuff on the, on the coffee table? Nobody touches that. See these drawers in here? Nobody opens these. See this jar back here? Y'all go back there and go crazy. Okay, see this over here? Nobody touches this outlet. And he just gives a little tour. And then they're done. They go, all right. We're at, we're at, now we're at the friend's house. And the kids all know the rules. And they don't have to guess. That being confused is frustrating for a child. So you just have to lay out. Here's how things are going to work. Here's what I'll do. I'm not going to try to surprise you and trap you. But I'm going to fulfill on my word. And that's real important. And I'll get to that in a second. So train against instant obedience. Unless, and this is what I always hear the Lord saying to me in the back of my head. Unless you want them to be in a position when they're in their 20s. That they get to ignore me the first six times I tell them to do something. In hopes that I'll speak to them a seventh time. Is that what you like for them, Stephen? No, Daddy, I don't want them to. I want them to hear you the first time. Great, train them how to obey me. Okay, Daddy, I'm going to try. Here's a really obvious one. Command them to do things. How will they know how to obey if you don't put the onus of obedience on them? So one thing that we did a lot uh, growing up was the training game, which both my girls really loved. And I would do this maybe five minutes a night when they're little girls. And we would just do obedience exercises. So I'd go, okay, here's some M&Ms on the table. Right? Who loves M&Ms? I love M&Ms. <laughs> All right. Now, I want you to walk to the front door and touch the doorknob. Go. Great. Now sit on the floor. All right, now don't talk for 30 seconds. All right, go get me, somebody go get me two plates and one fork. Go. And I'm just teaching them to obey my voice. And at the end, I go, you girls are so obedient. Great, obedient girls. Now here's some M&Ms. Wee, M&Ms, hooray. And they, they would bother me to, when can we do the training game? And then they started doing this thing where they would see other kids and go, Daddy, the little Robbie down the street, he needs the training game. You, you should be doing the training game with him. So, but you have to actually do it where you command them to do things. And I'll say this, if you're a, a disciple maker, tell your disciples to do things. Say, here's what I want you to do. And this doesn't, it's not American, so it feels so... Oh, I could never tell someone. Oh. Tell, your, tell your disciple, somebody that you're training, you know what, I want you to spend time in Luke 14 this week, and I want you to bring me an outline for our meeting next week. You think you can do that? Outline Luke 14? Great. See you then. How could you ever ask someone to do that? I'm trying to train this guy how to obey. He doesn't know how to do it. He's an American, so he doesn't know how to do that. So I'm trying to train him. So give people commands. Right? All right. Here's a real simple one. Praise obedience. Praise obedience. The Lord rewards us for obedience. And I want my children to relish and love expectantly obedience. So praise it. And hug your kids and tell them, you are such a good, obedient kid. Man, you're a helper. I love having you around. Because I tell you one time to go get the paintbrush for daddy who's up on the ladder. And you go get it for him. Great. Thank you. You're great. So praise them. Number seven. Discipline them for disobedience. This is not the theme of my talk. I'm not going to sit here for very long. But Hebrews 12 says... Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And don't be weary when you are corrected by him, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. I want to say two things about this. One, there's a difference between being gracious and being lax. And when you're lax with your kids, don't call that grace. Overlooking sin is not grace. That's laziness on your part. And the Lord doesn't do it with you. He addresses 
your sin because he wants to correct you because sin is poison and death. So he doesn't overlook it out of laziness. Don't call that grace. Grace is the fact that, yes, you've sinned so many times, but I love you. I love you because you're, you're my child. And the second thing I want to say about that is try to correct without emotion. Just be very simple and matter of fact and go like, you know, your obedience doesn't, your disobedience, it, it doesn't throw me off my game. My, I'm going fine. My life is going fine. You have a problem with this disobedience. I don't want to lose it every time my child sins. What, what, what do you think that builds into us? It's the thought that when I sin, God loses it. And now I have, I don't have Jehovah up there. I have Loki up there. He's crazy. You never know what he's going to do. Oh, he's so mad. Is he going to, you know, crash our cars because I sinned? That's not God's attitude toward you. You're my son. I'm doing fine. I'm on the throne. And you have a problem and I want to deal with you. Joy, um, how do you feel about child training? I like it and I'm glad that you trained me because sometimes we're around people who like the kid screams and the mom says, if you scream one more time, then I'll give you a timeout. And then he screams another time and she doesn't do it. And then you know that he's just going to keep screaming and screaming and screaming. Uh-huh. You're, you just started babysitting now, right? Mm-hmm. What are your favorite kids to babysit? Definitely obedient ones. And we know some families that, uh, that train, train their children, right? And how do you feel about those kids? They're really fun to be around since they, like, obey you and listen to what you have to say. They're fun to be around. Yeah. Do you think that you're going to be a good mom? Mm-hmm. Do you think that you'll be able to train kids? Yes. In obeying? Mm-hmm. That's, some, that's something else that we tell our girls often is that they're going to be great moms. They're nurturers. They want to take care of things, and they want, they want babies and puppies and baby dolls to take care of us. So we just bless that and affirm. I want to read this quote by John Piper, who says, Laissez-faire parenting does not produce gracious, humble children. It produces brats. They're neither fun to be around nor happy themselves. They're demanding and insolent. Their freedom is not a blessing to them or others. They are free the way a boat without a rudder is free. They're the victims of their own whims. Sooner or later, these whims will be crossed, and that spells misery. Please be consistent. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. One of the descriptions of a godly man in Psalm 112 is that he makes good on his word even to his own pain. And I have wanted to kick myself before when I said something thoughtlessly like, if I hear another word out of the back seat, I'm going to pull the car over. What a stupid thing to say. And then the car, then I hear a word coming out of the back seat and I think, I obligated myself with my word. I'm like God in their eyes. Do I violate my own word for the sake of convenience right now and, and shoot my credibility and compromise their trust in the word of the Father? <sighs> Got to pull the car over. Okay, what did I... Dang it, I, I didn't want to do this. I mean, I, I've, I've done that sort of thing. I, I, try, I got good at it quick, but like... Okay, if everybody will um, be quiet for the next two minutes, uh, everybody gets ice cream. I I don't want to go get ice cream. Why did I say that? But I I am ravenous, very serious about my word. My word has to be ironclad to them. So that if I say I'm going to do something, I must do it. I can't say... If I hear one more peep out of you, 
I'm going to come back there and deal with you myself. And then there's peeps and I go, I'm telling you, one more. I just violated my own word. I just told them my word is, is you can ignore it when you choose to. I can't have my girls feel that way about God's word. You can't ignore it. It's going to be your destruction if you ignore it. So the way that I uh, honor my own word is really important for their formation. Be consistent. Number nine, tie heartstrings. We want to intentionally create situations where loving kindness is transferred between us so that they feel the love and care of a parent and they feel that we're on the same team together. We're trying to tie heartstrings of good memories together, of, uh, well, we just went on a walk this past weekend. I have to tell this on Ada because I thought, wow, this stuff really works. Um, we, were, we were going on a walk in the woods, and we have stopped many times with a Bible for a walk in the woods. Let's just read some of the Psalms while we're here in lovely French Park. It's just a great place and Go to French Park right now, everybody. It's just explosion of color. It's just beautiful. And before we walked out the door, Ada said, Daddy, would you bring a Bible study with us while we go out on the wall? I thought, yes! Yeah, wow! <laughs> uh, and part of me was kind of like, I don't really have anything prepared. I, okay, I'll, I'll figure something out, you know? But she, get this. Imagine a family in which for her, Studying the Bible was a loving, warm, exciting, something that I do that makes me feel close to daddy while we're out on a walk. You can have all my money if I can be a part of that family. You can have, you can have my career. You can have everything. To be a part of a family that, that for her, she's got a worldview that's shaping up that goes, oh, if, if we just want to make this walk just perfect, just perfect. Would you bring a Bible study along with us today? That's incredible. I got to protect that thing, you know? So we do things like we do a summer trip that's a, that's a long car, car trip, just unnecessarily long because we want to spend time in the car together, talking together and having fun and going, you know, what, what, this is a weird town. You ever been to Holland, Michigan? Oh, they have cherries and we got to get some cherries here. Wow, cherries are great, guys. Hey. And we want to create that sort of closeness with them. I tell you, when I was a single man, I wouldn't have gone on a tour of Little House on the Prairie sites in Wisconsin, but that's what we did. That's what we did this summer and it was a huge hit. And these guys got prairie dresses and the whole thing. We're tying heartstrings. Last thing, thank you for hanging in. Last thing is to very proactively and very ruthlessly and very seriously by God's grace and with the fear of God on you, minimize the world's influence on your children. I don't care what the rating of the movie is. That is not the thumbs up, thumbs down of whether my kids get to see something. Did you know the PBS show, Arthur, that's one of the teachers is a man who in the show, PBS, kids show, Arthur, married another man on the show? Generally, for us, PBS is a thumbs up. Not Daniel Tiger, yourself to death. Knock yourself out. You want to hang out with whiny Caillou for 20 minutes? Go ahead. Whiny Caillou. Caillou was having a bad day. Um, If that's what you want to do, knock yourself out. But that lady right there and this guy right here will be deciding in exacting detail everything that goes into the eyeballs of these guys. And they have instructions that if a TV, if a screen is on in someone else's home that you're in, you stop and you talk to me about whether you can see what's on that screen or not. I don't know if you know this. It feels counterculture now. No child should see a screen for the first two years of its life. Shouldn't see any screen for two years. It screws with their brain formation to look at a screen before the age of two. 
Our rule to this day, this one is about to be eight. This one is 10. And still, they don't see more than average 20 minutes of any screen anytime. Never would we use a screen in a restaurant to shut our kids up because we can't deal with them. The world, the enemy, if you haven't heard this from me lately, he has a very specific plan for your family. And that's to take them like an insect and pull their legs off one at a time and then pull their wings off and then squash their eyeballs and then end their life. He has a design on your family and it's to destroy your family. He wants husband and wife separated from one another and children to turn against parents. It's not neutral. When When you send your kids out into the world, it's not neutral territory. So please... Be militant about minimizing the influence of the world on your children. Just in case you think that we're, I'm I'm a school marm and we're moving out into back to Little House in Prairie Land. That's not always going to be the case with my kids. These guys are going to be fighters on the front lines of society. So there will be an age when we start strategically putting them into the world, and then dialoguing about their interactions with the world. That's not at age five. They, they're wet cement until age seven. That's what child psychologists say. So until age seven, they're staying right here. And I'm telling them, you love Jesus. You love mommy and daddy. This is your home. Our family tells you who you are. We're growing up in this cocoon. And as you grow up, she's starting to do all sorts of different things right now at age 10. And as they grow up, we're going to let them expand more. And they're going to be lions, you know, when they're 16, 18 years old. But not in these precious formative years. We are minimizing the world's influence on them. So my 10 tips. We don't learn things conceptually. We learn them on the playing field. If you wanted homework... I'll give you some homeworky steps. You don't have to do them. I'm not your trainer. There's no second class of this. That should be the first homework step of any class you're in in jump school. Is like if you're confronted with his word and you go, ugh, I feel outed by his word. I can tell you a great move to do when you feel that way. Just repent. Just come into agreement with him. This is my homework suggestion for anybody. Start observing Sabbath. If you'll protect the Sabbath, you will create a world-free zone for your family. There's a magical zone 24 hours when the world doesn't get in. We're together as a family. That's heartstring tying time. This walk in at French Park, that was a Sabbath activity. And it's a great time. Well, we're all doing nothing. So uh, what do you say, Dad? Why don't you talk us through a Bible verse or two? Talk, Talk to us about God. Find a YouTube video of Jesus Loves Me. Let's all sing Jesus Loves Me together. Protect that Sabbath day and you'll create an environment. It's a Petri dish where family building can happen really naturally. Here's a a suggestion. You could apologize to your kids and just go, you know what? Up to this point, we, we, we haven't done a great job in like disciplining you guys to obey the first time. God wants you to obey the first time and... Well, that's what we're going to start doing. So why don't we do a practice right now? We're going to do something called the training game. And we're going to, do, we're going to practice obeying the first time. And I'm just, I just have to tell you that, you know, dad doesn't get everything right perfectly every time. But we're, we're, going, to, we're going to start doing this the way God wants to. And I'm sorry, guys. And they'll go, whoa, this must be serious. Dad's apologizing. What's happening here? Well, I, I, want, to, I want to usher in a new day of obedience and training for us. This is a must. This, now, this one is not optional. This is everyone's homework in this room. You have to be patient with yourself and pursue consistency instead of instant perfection. We, we, we know some of the same people that some of you people do. And like you go to like Sabbath at their house. And it's like good gravy. I mean, I could, what a production this is. I could never do what these people do. With their, well, we... We didn't even just try to do what anybody else did. We just like, well, let's just try to have a day where we don't work. 
And like, that was like a year of like fighting. And like, what's work? That, what, are you working over there? That's just my, that's not, this is not work email. This is, this is fun email. I don't like you being on the machine. Uh, well, we're going to have to talk about that. What, what is the Sabbath day? You know, who, you know, and go through all of that stuff. And then just build line upon line, precept upon precept. We go, well, what do we do next? Just be patient and go for consistency. <laughs> this just came to mind is I have a, I have a blog, okay? I'm sorry, I do. And um, we talk about this kind of stuff. And so if you're into family leading and building your family and come see us at Abraham's Wallet. It's a, it's a lot of money stuff. That's why it's called Abraham's Wallet. It's a lot of finance stuff. But you could... You could send us a query. If you go, you guys aren't addressing this question, would you write an article? We'd love to do that. I'd rather take questions if you have any. tend to be more susceptible to it. Yes. The question is, how do you guard against the religious um, obedience and, and neglecting the heart stuff? Here's, what I, here's my first reaction to that, is that the sin of our age in 2019 is not religion and making our children do maniacal compliance. The sin of our age is not making our children obey and only giving them care bearer, soft, fuzzy world. That'd be my first thing. So if you, if you know the teaching around those little, what do you call Anybody know that, the matrix thing? The teaching is that you don't easily transition from one weak area right into maturity. You actually have to go in, you have to go into the other zone a little bit and feel like we are so strict right now. Whoa, what is happening to us? We are the rudest, meanest people. You actually have to live in that space a little while before you get to come up into maturity. So I would say for anybody that's, that you, the road you've been walking down is like not requiring too much. They'll, they'll learn on their own, you know, whatever that means. If that's where you're coming from, you're going to have to go to a place that you feel like this is religious. I'm having, I'm really struggling with this. You'll have to go to that place. You have autonomy to do it however you want in your home, but who's going to keep us from being crazy in our home? And I would say the answer to that is that we want to be in thick community with one another. I want you to have a small group of men, two to five men that know you and love you so well. You trust them to discipline your kids. They trust you to discipline their kids. And they, are, they know you well enough and are around you enough to go like, you're kind of being harsh. If uh, some of you have been through David Sheldon's classes, I tell you, when I had kids, I was like, it is show time. We're about to create some obedient kids. Did I do that, Dora? I was pretty excited about it. And David Sheldon was with me when, I don't know, Joy was like 18 months. And he was like, Stephen, you're too harsh with her. Like, she's 18 months old. And I'm like, obeying the first time, David. And he's like... She's just learning like how to walk right now. And so just be graceful, just empathize with her struggle as I know that you want to teach her to obey. Just understand what it's like for her. I'm like, okay, I don't really know what you mean, but okay, I'll try. Um, and we, we just need people like that around our lives to, to, that know us well enough to go, you feel a little bit weird there. What you doing there? We're supposed to iron sharpens iron. So iron sharpens iron to keep me from becoming a care bearer. Iron sharpens iron to keep me from becoming a drill sergeant. Yes? We, uh, we started at six months. And so uh, it's a real simple early learning version of the training, which is you have a kid in a high chair. They can sit up. They can control themselves. And you, we just wanted to teach them yes and no. So you put a really desirable thing in front of them, a shiny object, a phone or a glass bauble or something in front of them, and then a little toy in front of them. And you say to them, yes, pointing to the toy, no, pointing to the little bauble. And then you just wait. 
And I know what they're going to do, everyone. I know what the child will do. The child will go towards the no thing. And you, and you purposefully make it desirable and it's shiny. And when they come to it, you don't have to hurt them. You just go, no. You don't have to hurt them. No. And they look at you like, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not upset about it. No, that's a no. I 100% promise you the next thing they will do is go back to that no toy. And you have to be what? Consistent. Oh, that's a no. Tick. You'll have a screaming, crying child in your hands in under two minutes. Because you're now dealing with their will at six months old. With their will. Would you rather deal with their will at six months or at 16? Six months. And the amazing thing that always strikes me is about people putting off disciplining their kids because it's too difficult. You're making your life a lot more difficult by not disciplining them. My life with these guys, it's, it's a party, man. It's just great. It's just great. I love them. I mean, I really enjoy being with them because, you know, no, that's a no. Tick. And the kid's screaming as if you just poke their eyes out. Oh, they're just screaming. And you go, well, this one's a yes. And then what would you do when the kid touches the yes thing? Praise them. Oh, you're such a smart girl. Oh, good job touching that thing. And they'll go, they're crying. (laughs) I'm going back to the no. Oh, and I'm not upset about it. Oopsie, that's a no. Tick. And so we would do that training at six months old. If you do that at six months old and you do it once a week for five minutes, they'll learn very quick. And now when we're in the house and there's something on the, on the um, coffee table, that's a no. And they're like, cool, got it. No problem. So that's what I'd say. And I know, and I would agree with what people are telling you, like, okay, you've got a little dude who's growing up and he's trouble. And I would say, all right, then I wouldn't, just between us girls... I would, only, I would only make a couple of rules with him. And I would just try to introduce. There have to be rules, by the way, or he's never going to learn to obey. So you're going to have to introduce some complication for him. Here's the rule. Whatever arbitrary thing you want. I'm going to put a fork on your plate. Don't touch the fork. That's a great training right there. Whatever it is. So pick a couple of things. Yeah, don't try like. Nobody introduced a thousand new rules tonight with your kids. Not helpful. Thank you for your patience, everybody. I hope you have grace and know my heart for you. And while I'm talking about these things, my heart is that you'd know the Lord in your home. And I don't want anybody disqualified from service in God's kingdom because of neglect or just ignorance in how to run your home. So I'm trying to be clear. And if I've stepped on your toes... I'm sorry, I love you. I'm not trying to tell you you're doing it wrong. I'm just trying to tell you what I see in the word and how we have tried to, to, to integrate these things, okay? And I bless your homes and your children that they will grow up to be disciples of the living God. Amen.